but uh, encourage you to just share those prayer requests with us. We take those very seriously and actually enjoy uh, praying for the needs of God's people, but we can't do that if you don't let us know what's going on. So please, uh, you can reach us through our website or uh, this way. Just fill this out, drop it in the bucket. We'll take it from there. Um, and uh, also, during the time of communion, um, there will be someone in the back of the room available to pray with those of you who would like prayer for something that's going on in your life while you are here. Um, Yolanda will be probably in that corner, um, and maybe one of our elders or deacons will be with her, but uh, please avail yourself of that opportunity as well. And let's see, several things going on around here. We are in the season of officer nominations. We um, collect those nominations towards the end of the summertime. And those of you who are members would have received by email a packet of the scriptures that pertain to the offices of deacon and elder, and then a list of members uh, who are eligible to be nominated, and then um, uh, the form by which you would print and nominate someone. So please be in prayer about that. Uh, be looking around the congregation for those people who represent to you what a deacon or an elder is, and uh, we need those nominations to make the process work. So encourage you to participate in that. Um, our next big thing is coming up in August on the 21st. That's a Sunday, and after church we will host a ministry fair. And if you are looking around at ways you might get involved at Hope, uh, we will have plenty of opportunities for you then and uh, encourage you to be here that Sunday. We will um, provide some food and some fellowship, and our ministry teams will be uh, out hawking their available spots and badgering people accordingly. Not really, but it, you know, anyway. Uh, you'll get a good picture of um, everything that goes on around here and how you can hopefully fill, fit in. Um, in the meantime, we will be sending out a survey, a spiritual gifts survey, encourage you to take that. You take it online, and it just records all your answers. You don't have to score it or anything. Um, uh, let's see. Mike, do you know what online is? Where the birds sit, yes. I'll print one out for you. Yeah, hard copy, big letters, pictures. I'll have Graham help with that. Yeah, all right. Um, okay, so that's coming, and encourage you to participate there. Um, we're going to have a special guest with us on August the 14th. Um, it is my friend Fritz Williams, who uh, pastors First, uh, First Baptist Church of Lockhart, Texas, an African-American congregation. And Fritz uh, and I have been friends for several years um, I can tell my church that we met at a cigar store. He cannot tell his church that we met at a cigar store. So that's how that works. So I try to keep my mouth shut when I'm there. But uh, we, have, we have swapped places with each other in the past. It was a couple years ago, I believe, and we're going to do that again. Uh, just an incredible uh, blessing of a friendship for me personally. And uh, I want to share him with you. And I'm really hoping that uh, at some point we'll figure out a good way to get our churches together for some kind of something, um, preferably in Lockhart where there's barbecue. Um, that's my real motivation if you want to know. Yes. Yeah, my sister church in Cuba, our sister church in Cuba has a cigar factory in the town where our sister church is, and our friendship with an African-American church here has four of the best barbecue joints in Texas right in their zip code. It's just coincidence. I didn't, I didn't plan it that way. Um, but Fritz will be here in uh, two Sundays from now. I encourage you to be here for that and just welcome him and uh, should be a blessing for everyone involved. Um, and then let's see. Uh, later in August... Um, Darden Kaler will be here. He was our first associate pastor, led our worship team, really created the, the culture of worship 
that we have at Hope, along with some other servants and saints that were part of that process. Um, but Darden will be here. His daughter is starting uh, her first semester at UTSA this fall, and they'll be here to send her off and get her settled in. So uh, we're going to have him back for that Sunday, and we'll, that's the same Sunday as our ministry team lunch, so our ministry fair, I should say. So that should be a lot of fun. Encourage you to just mark those dates. Try to be here if you can, and uh, let's see. So if you're wondering who the the strange man behind me is, um, uh, so. Graham, Graham is, uh, was a member of Hope for many years. He's originally from Northern Ireland and uh, was brought over to the United States uh, by some little company in Florida called Disney. Is that me? That's not me, is it? Not me. Dolores. Spam. Yes. Yeah, you got one during a funeral on Friday and now during church on Sunday. You should have one of your granddaughters teach you how to mute your phone. When they arrive, yes. Um, where was I? Uh, that was just too... I, there's some temptations I cannot even resist. So calling out my mother-in-law, that's just priceless. I love you, D.D. Um, so uh, Graham uh, originally came over to work for Disney and then uh, ended up working for a 3D animation company here in San Antonio for a while. And now he's like the director of art education for the state of confusion. Yeah, that place up in the northwest. One of those northwestern states. Um, and he's overseeing bringing art education into the 21st century uh, what state, what, like, is it Washington or Oregon? In the uh, latter. Oregon. Um, and uh, so he's in town for some work and here with us for a couple of Sundays and offered to uh, kind of contribute while we were worshiping today. And I took him up on it because it's pretty cool. So... Um, but uh, you might be wondering why, like during the Youth Summer Sermon Series, uh, we have this old guy up here. But really, his mind is very youthful. He's, he's, he's got a juvenile mind trapped in a genius's body. How about that? Yes, I, I usually get seven or eight years old out of my wife, so we're, we're not far apart there. Um, but... Uh, so that's what's going on behind me and should be a blessing to us as we uh, worship God through his word here momentarily. Uh, to that end, let's have all of the important people in the room come down to the front. If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time. Say that again. A song? Are you going to sing it for me? Not a singing song. Okay. All right. I mean, we could sing like Yellow Submarine or something if you want. No? All right. Well, they, they have to be educated. Um, all right. So... Let's see. People in the Bible. Name some important people in the Bible. Jesus, God. We're done. <laughs> yeah, let's go to Lockhart. Let's just, let's just go. Let's, I, I shouldn't say that out loud. I could lose like 80% of them just on that comment right there. Okay, Jesus, who else? Can you think of anybody that lived before Jesus was born in Bethlehem? God, very good, very good. Joseph, yep. Thank you. How did you know that? <laughs> All right. So Moses, how important was Moses? Where did Moses grow up? 
in the palace of the king of what country? Do you remember? Um, Egypt. Egypt, which was the most powerful country in the world and had, the, as, as a child growing up in the Pharaoh's palace, Moses would have had the best education available to anyone in the world at that time or in the Western world or if it's Egypt, Western? No, not really. But anyway, you get the idea. Anywhere, in, anyone in the region, all right? So Moses grew up in the palace, was educated, and then let's just say he had to leave, right? And he was a shepherd for 40 years. And then God appeared to Moses one day. And do you remember that story? How did God appear to Moses? He, he, he said, Ed, Ed, for Moses Yes. That is correct. The burning bush. The burning bush. Another answer fed by dad. You got that one? All right. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. How about red, Zos? Yay! All right. And then, Esther, you said... Yes that God told Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, Moses said, there's one thing, I got, I got, you know, I got a question. So if I go to Egypt and I tell Pharaoh and all of my people that they're supposed to follow me because some God told me to go get them, what do I tell them is your name? He, Moses wanted to know God's name, right? So when you meet someone, it's important if you're going to be their friend that you know their name, name right? It's, it's a way of getting to know someone. And so Moses asked the question, um, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? What did God say? Do you remember? Any idea? He, when Moses asked God his name, this is what God said. Are you ready? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It is the correct answer. So God's name is? I am. I am, right? And so think about that for a second. If, if yesterday God's name was? I am. I am. And today God's name is? I am. I am. And tomorrow God's name is still? I am. What does that tell you about God? He is who he is. He always is. So God told Moses by giving him that name, God told Moses and all of us that God has always existed. There's never been a time when God wasn't there, and there never will be a time when God won't be there. And who loves you? God. God, right? Who sent his son as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins? God, right? And so that God will, he's always been there, he's with you now, and he will always be, always be with you. That is the God that loves you, the God that will never let you go, that will always keep you close to his heart, and is life going to be perfect because God loves you? No, there will still be difficulties, right? But he's always there. He's always with you. He loves you. That's a pretty solid thing. All right. I think you get it. Can I pray for you guys before you go to Hope for Kids? Of course. All right. <laughs> dear, dear Lord, we thank you for these beautiful children, for the gift that they are to our lives, our families, and our churches. And we pray your blessing over them as they study more of your word and Hope for Kids today. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of who you are and how much you love them. And Lord, we thank you that you are the God who is always there.
that your love never fades, it never turns away, that your heart is always for your children. And we just pray that you would root us in that truth today and grow us stronger and stronger as those who know you and love you and serve you in this world. We pray your blessing over these children in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great time and hope for kids. <laughs> the song that can't be sung. And there's my note. Best part of my Monday. It's already in the bucket. All right. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the ways in which you uh, grow us more and more into the men and women of God that you created us to be uh, through the ministry of your word. And so, Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would read there what we need to hear um, about ourselves, about you, about your son and his love and his sacrifice for us. We acknowledge that we are uh, sinners, that we are in need of that grace that you have provided through Jesus. And as we acknowledge that, we are lifted from the despair of our sin and the sin of those around us to the hope that you have extended before us uh, in Christ and so, Lord, we pray that as we um, engage you in this way, that you would um, speak to us, grow us, change us. And we lift before you the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word this morning. We think of those relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures, and we pray your healing mercies over your people. We lift before you those who mourn, and we pray your comfort over the hearts of your people. We pray especially for our sister Helen Johnson as she mourns the loss of her husband, Dean, and we just pray your comfort over her and all who loved him. And Lord, we lift up this country our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed. We pray for your wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. And we lift up our men and women in uniform. We pray your protection over them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way, asking that you would bring them home safely. And Lord, we lift up those who have returned from their service uh, changed. And we pray that your healing would be poured out upon them, mind, body, and soul that you would use us to minister that healing and grace to their hearts. And Lord, we um, lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We think of the churches that we are connected to uh, through our denomination and our missions giving, and um, we just pray your blessing over them. We lift up Paul and Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala, and John and Diane Davis on the border in Laredo. We lift up Miguel and Tatiana in at our sister church in Camahuani, Cuba, we lift up Patchy and Marilyn Quesada in Old Havana. We also lift up Robbie and Joyce Hamd as they uh, serve you in Lebanon. We just pray your blessing over that work. And we lift up Monica and Benjamin Bailey as they serve you in the Middle East. And we just pray for what you're doing there. And Lord, we pray you would be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts, speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Is that better? That's fine. How you doing back there? Oh, uh, fine, yeah. 
You know, you should have your sandals off if you're drawing that scene. All right. He did. All right. Um, so, all right. He didn't say anything about boots, so I'm good. Um, so we we have been in a series this summer called "What's in a Name," and we have been looking at. Uh, the names of God uh, as they occur in Scripture, the ways in which God wants us to relate to him uh, through various ways that he reveals himself to us. And we've had uh, several members of our youth group uh, up here periodically throughout this series uh, sharing uh, kind of some of their uh, struggles and afflictions in life and the ways in which the names of God have spoken to them in their own context and uh, so we've, we've, uh, we've officially run out of youth, um, but, but as Graham said earlier, he's, he's a pretty good substitute. So, um, but we thought he offered to do this, and I thought it was good timing. Um, and uh, I, as, as we put this series together, I gave our youth kind of complete freedom to look at you know, their own spiritual needs and the whole array of the way that God reveals himself in scripture and look for those places that spoke to them. And that left um, an opening for me to sort of dive into this little passage in Exodus where God tells his name to Moses. And this, this whole passage, this chapter and then subsequent couple after it are, are some of my favorite in scripture for a strange reason, um, I've always related really deeply to Moses' resistance to being called into ministry. Um, God's like, you're going to go, and you're going to do this for me, and Moses is like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he, he, he objects probably, depending on how you read it, five different ways. He tries at least four overt attempts to say, I'm not the right guy, I can't speak, I don't know your name. He's just throwing all these objections at God. And in the face of the objection of, um, uh, you know, how am I going to go tell these people that a nameless God is calling them out of Egypt, God speaks to Moses. And that's what we're going to look at today is, is the actual name of God, the name that he chose to reveal as his personal name. And this is a, a really um, striking passage in many ways, um, but I just want to invite you into this as you, as you hear this sort of ancient Near Eastern negotiation between these two beings, Moses and God, as they sort of jockey around each other and try to figure out who is this person, what's going on, and, and what, am I, what am I being committed to here. Um, and so here we are. As you know, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's temple in Egypt. He, he murdered an Egyptian who was abusing a, a, a Hebrew slave, and then he had to flee, and he lived in exile uh, for 40 years. Uh, he got married, um, and... This will mention his father-in-law and this uh, new occupation that Moses says is the most overeducated shepherd in human history. All right, so he he has had literally the highest level of education of any person in that region of the world at this time, and uh, and here he is tending sheep in the desert mountains. Uh, but that's where we pick up. And then you'll see it all unfold from there. I'm in Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold... The bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why? The bush is not burned. 
When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the, Egyptian, the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Most of us have names that were given to us because they were already in our family somewhere. Not all of us, but most of us. That's our cultural custom to some extent, to name kids after people we know or love. Um, although none of my nieces or nephews, or none of my nieces are named Gladys or Thelma, but hey, some names run out of gas, I guess. Um, and we don't give a lot of thought as, as Americans, as Westerners, to the meaning of a name. Um, you know, I, had to, I, had to, I looked up later in life that my name had a meaning. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. I was just named after my dad. Um, and that was its meaning for me. Um, in the ancient world, names almost always had a meaning. And it was fairly unusual, and this is, you can sort of discern this from the fact that there weren't any last names in antiquity. And so names were typically new to the family. And you would name a child based on some, some aspect of the timing of their birth, the conditions of their birth, or something you might have hoped for for that child, or something that that birth evoked from you as a parent. And in the ancient world, names almost inevitably had some kind of, of meaning that was conveyed with the, the naming of that child. And... <clears throat> This name is no different. It is packed with meaning. There is 
import and significance at every level as God reveals his given name to Moses. And I want to just take us through some of what we see here. And I, I wanted to read the whole passage, A, because I'm kind of a context guy, but B, there's a lot that God reveals to us about himself in this passage that's not just in the name itself. It's, it's revealing to look at the context in which God's name is given, to look at this kind of broader um, space into which this name emerges into the human experience. And <clears throat> biblically speaking, just for the record, there, there are two ways to look at this. Um, that this is, one is that this is the first time that God reveals his personal name, Yahweh, to his people. Um, the, the problem with that is that prior to this, in the book of Genesis, the name Yahweh is there repeatedly, right? So the name occurs earlier in, in Hebrew stories, and the explanation for that could be that Moses oversaw the compilation of those first five books of the Bible, and, and inserted the name that God had given him in the rightful places where it belonged in previous redemptive history as he recorded that part of God's word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, there are others who hold that, that Abraham would have known this name, he just would not have known what it meant. So that this isn't God giving his name, it's God explaining his name. And I honestly, I wasn't there, I was off that day, uh, so I don't know. Um, which of those uh, ways of accounting for this name are better. Um, I don't have a strong opinion on it. Uh, you might, and that's okay. I'm all for it. Um, so uh, anyway, we, we come to this occasion where God reveals his name and the meaning of his name. And I want to begin in these first 12 verses of Exodus chapter 3 and just look at the background in which this name emerges. What is God telling us about himself in this, in this whole narrative of giving his name to Moses? And so let's just start with this idea that we are to know that our God is with us. We are to know that our God is with us. The first thing we see in this passage is God seeking out Moses. He, he does this weird trick where he sets this bush on fire, but it's not burning. There's some flame of presence there that something is happening, and Moses is baffled, and he starts moving closer. And it's a calling to us that our God, not only is he with us, not only does he seek us out, but he seeks us out to call us into his holy presence. And as soon as Moses steps towards the bush, he hears the voice say, hey, take off your shoes. You are standing on holy ground. And again, we're, we're going back in antiquity to a custom that is hard for us to understand. When I walk into my home, I walk in with whatever manly footwear I happen to have on at that moment, and I just walk wherever I want to go, right? Um, in the ancient world, they lived in tents and would often have a carpet on the dirt inside their tent, and they would take their shoes off before they went into their dwelling as if to leave the dirt of the world outside that holy place, that sacred place of family was not to be soiled by what came from outside. And the sole of a shoe was an insult to be shown. And we have accounts in our own military history of our soldiers flying around in helicopters with their feet hanging over the edge in Near Eastern contexts, and the people we were there to try to help being insulted by the fact that we were exposing the soles of our feet to them in broad daylight. It's like, no, no, we're here to save you from those bad people, right? But you, we were inadvertently insulting them. So I'm, the, my point is this, this whole thing of shoes, is it's an ancient 
custom. It's an ancient cultural thing, and it still actually occurs in the world today. And you, I can think of Japan or anywhere in the Near East. And so Moses is told this is not just any place. This is, this is the presence of God. And that's what we are called into. And he's given this cultural clue that this is a special revelation from a holy God. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And that is what God is calling each one of us into and as he seeks us out and calls us out and calls us to step into his holy presence. And then the next thing God does is fascinating. Look at verse 6, if you can. Um, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, Isaac excuse me, and the God of Jacob. Uh, there is actually in the Hebrew, there's no I am there. That's implied. So think about it. Moses is standing there. He takes off his sandals, and then he hears the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses is like, dude, this is big. And, and he covers his face, which is a, a logical response, right? I'm in the presence of holiness. I'm in the presence of deity. I'm in the presence of power. And Moses had grown up in a palace where there could be consequences for staring at the one in power, for looking the wrong way or turning the wrong way. And so he understood where he was and what was going on. And there is this really powerful claim that God is making. He starts with Abraham. Well, he starts with Moses' father, but then he goes and traces, starts, goes back to Abraham. And what God is doing is he's saying, do you remember the stories in your family that I made a promise to Abraham? Have you heard about this? Because I did. And whether you remember it or you don't remember it, or whether your parents passed the story down to you or they didn't, guess what? I remember. I am faithful to my word. I will uphold my promise. I will fulfill what I said I would do. And that is how God begins his connection to Moses, is by recalling his covenant faithfulness. When we relate to God, we need to remember that he is faithful to his promises, that he will uphold and fulfill the covenant that he made with Abraham and all of us. And so there's this God that we are to know is with us, who seeks us out, who cares about our afflictions. This is why the context is important. God doesn't just pop up out of nowhere and, and surprise Moses with his name. He's listening. He's hearing the struggles of his people. As we saw earlier in this series over the course of this summer, God hears the, the cries of our youth, the things that they are struggling with. He hears you. He hears me. He's listening. He's tuned in. He cares about our afflictions this passage reminds us in verse 7 that he sees what we're going through. And it reminds us that he hears our cry. This is a responsive God who is not only there, but he's tuned in. He cares. He's listening. And so he seeks us out. He wants us to know that he cares. And he is including us in his redemptive plan. This is how he works. And can I just say, I don't know why, well, like, maybe I do, but I'm with Moses. Like, why me? What are you thinking? Do you know what I think about when I'm not at church? Like, do you know what's going through my head when I'm driving down 1604? These aren't friendly Jesus thoughts, right? Um, what are you thinking? What's, what's going on in the divine mind that he would choose us to work through? 
What a great way to mess up your plan, right? And yet, he loves us, and he wants us to be part of this redemptive plan, this extension of his grace into the world. And we see in his conversation with Moses, um, which again, going back culturally, uh, if you can't see it, it's okay, but this is a negotiation, a Near Eastern cultural negotiation that they're engaged in. And, and Moses is bartering. Every time he throws out an objection, he's, he's trying to reduce the level of responsibility that God is calling out of him. And he's trying to figure out probably uh, the easiest way out. Um, and so here, in this context... God reveals his heart, that he wants to include us in his redemptive plan, that he wants us to find deliverance from oppression, whatever that may be, but especially that of our own sin, that he wants us to know what forgiveness is like. He wants to bring us from that place of oppression and bondage And he wants us to let him bring us into his blessing. This is what God wants for us to live in a relationship with him where it feels like we are in the land of milk and honey. And yet, we know when God's people got there, there was conflict and infighting and warfare and death and famine and all kinds of bad things. But what God told Moses, I will be with you. And so this is the first thing we're to take away from this engagement between Moses and his creator, is that we're to know that God is with us. Whatever our affliction might be, he is with us. And then, I think God actually wants us to call him by name. This is a stunning Um, revelation in this passage that God actually acquiesces to Moses and reveals his name. But here it is. So in Hebrew, the name would be represented by the English letters Y-H-W-H. And when God says this word, this Hebrew word to Moses, he actually says it in the future tense. So it's, it's almost like he's saying, I am that I will be, or I will be that I am, or I w-. It's, it's really hard to translate, and I think that's very intentional on God's part. He, he throws out a confounding set of words, as if to say, you're not, you, I'm going to give you my name, you're not going to be able to fully comprehend it earthling, but um, you are, thank you, I appreciate that, Um, but you will be able to approach me through this name. You will be able to understand something of who I am and what it means to know me. And so, um, just as this is a little aside, okay, it's no no extra charge, just free today only, Um, but those four letters, are they up there? Yes, Y-H-W-H up there. Oh, look at that. All right. Um, the, because of the Ten Commandments, one of which is uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain, the Jewish custom after Moses became to not, not pronounce that name. It, it was we, and so we actually don't know how God's name is pronounced. It's that the pronunciation is lost. Um, it was probably and just bear with my terrible Hebrew. Uh, I hope no one who's actually studied Hebrew is listening online. But um, it would probably sound like Yahweh. It's almost a whisper, Yahweh, or Yahweh, but we don't know. And, and so it, it's fascinating, right? God gives his name to his people, and we just fumble. We're just like, yeah, I'm not saying that. 
right? And so the, the fear of breaking the commandment resulted in every time God's people would come to this word in Scripture, there were no vowels in ancient script, and so they just would put the consonants on the page, and, and Moses actually came up with this whole alphabet and system, but um, they would read it, and they would, they, when, they, when they saw the word of the name of God, they would say the, what in English would be the word Lord. So when you're reading your Bible and you see the word Lord in, in what's called small caps, it's a capital L and then a small capital O, capital R, capital D, that's actually where the name Yahweh appears. And Yahweh is how gringos pronounce it. Okay, Sort of like Jesus should be Yeshua or something, or at least Jesus, that's way better. Um, and closer. But we're gringos, so we say, well, not all of us, but you get the point. We say um, Jesus, and so we say Yahweh when we're talking about this word. All right, I'm going to go back on script. God actually wants us to call him by name, to, to be that familiar with him, to know him as uh, someone we love. And so he gives Moses this name, and it's packed with meaning. So I'm going to try to just sort of look at some of that meaning for just a moment in verses 13 through 15. Um, what do we learn from this name? We learn that, that Yahweh is perpetually existent. He, he uses a verb of being as his name and places it in the future tense as if to say, I will always be there. That's who I am. I am always here. And this idea of perpetuity embedded in this name is this idea that our God is without beginning and he is without end. So theological scholars used to, used to like go back and forth on this question, is God eternal or everlasting is he is he outside of time or does he exist like for all of time or both or how you know well we don't know um but you might have heard of a guy named albert einstein and he had a theory of relativity which went like this e equals mc squared e stands for energy m stands for Mass, C stands for speed of light, squared. So Einstein, in, embedded in his equation, is this idea that everything that exists in this universe has a starting point. There was a time when none of it existed. And so, you know, I think scientists call this the Big Bang. I call it Genesis chapter 1. Um, but this idea that something that was pre-existent, that was not comprised of matter or energy, um, created time, matter, and energy. This idea that God is not bound by time. It, it's a little bit mind-blowing, but here's why it's important. God's people in this passage are in slavery. They're in bondage. They're in affliction. And they're crying out to him. And their God says, I'm not only with you, I'm not only listening, I'm not only seeing you, I've always been there, I'm with you now, and I will always be there. This is the revelation of the heart of God in his name, that he has no beginning and he has no end. And I know that we cannot fully comprehend that, and that's part of the deal. That's part of the, the, what God is conveying, is that he's also beyond full comprehension. But, and I, I sort of mean this, you know, take it as you will, uh, so is my wife, right? Like, I will never fully understand her, but I can know her, I can love her, I can grow in my understanding of her, I can relate to her more and more deeply over time. God is the same way. 
we will never fully understand him, but we can know him, we can love to him, we can relate to him over time and grow in our relationship with him. And he embeds this idea in his name that he is perpetually existent and that he is self-existent. And again, if, if everything we know is created at some point, everything that has mass or energy and exists in time has a beginning point, then God is not subject to those rules. He is self-existent. And, and I fully realize that brings with it a whole other set of questions. That's okay. But we have this truth that our God is not dependent upon anything, that he is completely and entirely self-existent, that everything in creation is derived from him, and that everything is sustained by him. If he can bring it all into existence in one explosive creative act, then guess what? He can end it all. And this is a God of awe. This isn't, so think of the context Moses came from in Egypt, and there are literally hundreds of gods, and it takes a lifetime just to learn most of their names, their powers, their dominions, and and the things you have to do to try to keep them happy. And God says to Moses, I'm not like that. I'm not the God of that river over there where you just need to worry about a flood every once in a while. I'm not even the God of the sky that can do bad things to you if you don't keep him happy. I'm the God who self-exists. I'm the God that all of this comes flowing out of. I am that God, and you can know me by name. Wow. And so, our God, perpetually existent and also self-existent, we can call him by name, and then at this point in the future, as God says to Moses in verse 15, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. He pops up several thousand years later with another name. It's Jesus. God comes to earth as a human being. He's born in poverty, in affliction, laid in a manger without clothes. As if to say, I'm not finished. I'm here to fulfill a promise. A promise that I made to Abraham. And that while he's speaking to Moses, he, he reaches forward to the cross to say, you're covered. I've got this. I am the God who is with you, no matter what. And I want to just take you on a quick journey through a few other scriptures. And I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 21, verse 33. Um, the pro- God's promises to Abraham, or his promise, his covenant with Abraham, there, there are two important conversations. One is in Genesis 12, the other is in Genesis 15. Um, all of it's important, but those are the two kind of points of demarcation of God's covenant with Abraham. And then later, Abraham is, is in a, a water dispute with a neighbor. And they figured out, and those two make a covenant, a, an agreement that, to respect the water rights that Abraham had in, on this property. And to mark that occasion, Abraham does the following, or says, well, here, here's, here's what he does. This is Genesis 21:33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. So this idea that Abraham 
knew that his God was different than all the other regional gods. These little mini-gods, that he's the god of that hill over there, or that tree down there, or that valley, or the sky, or whatever. Abraham understood his God was different. And that God had given him a promise that through his offspring, the world would change. That grace and forgiveness would come to the hearts of mankind. And Isaiah echoes this in his opus uh, prophetical book, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This idea of an eternal, perpetually existing, self-existent God, this is different. This is unique in, in ancient history. And here he is, talking to Moses, telling him his name. And then uh, the single greatest existential claim in human history is right here in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word that John uses there is this Greek word. It's the word that we get ology from, biology, theology, all the ologies. It's, it's this word that conveys the central essence of all things. And so John literally says, the central essence of all things became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus the I am came and took our sin is what John is setting us up for. And then in case um, anyone wasn't sure, Jesus in John chapter 8 actually lays hold of this claim. Listen to these words. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> and Jesus is speaking to a Jewish crowd. This is nothing short of blasphemy, except that he was right. He was laying claim to the very truth that the self-existent, perpetually existent God was now in flesh and was going to offer his life as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Then Revelation 22.13, we, we believe these are the words of Jesus towards the close of Scripture. There's a little bit of ambiguity. It could be God the Father speaking. It could be God the Son speaking. Um, same, same? Okay, we're good. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So, when we are facing affliction, the oppression of sin in this world against our hearts, our minds, our bodies and souls, God wants you to know something. He is with you. He's always been there. He's with you now. And he always will be. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we are humbled by the power in your name. And yet, also humbled by the fact that you would acquiesce to tell us your name. That you would choose to involve us in the carrying out of your will. 
that you would love us, that you would seek our redemption, that you would seek to bring us out of oppression and into blessing. We are humbled. Lord, help us when we get so focused on ourselves and our circumstances just to look up and remember who you are, what you have done for us, that you, the great I am without beginning or end, became human, that you took on flesh, that you went to the cross to suffer in our place, that we might have forgiveness grace and freedom eternal, that we might be caught up into the presence of the one who always has been, is now, and forever will be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.